Hello, my name is Dr. Susie Harris and I'm the owner of Cedarwood Natural Health Center here in South Burlington, Vermont. And I wanna welcome you to my podcast, Next Seven. The purpose of this podcast is to be a part of making sure people everywhere have access to clean organic food, clean water and functional healthcare. Um, it's, it's a belief in my heart that if we pay attention to these things and achieve those, clean food, clean water, access to functional health care, we can ensure our next seven generations, which means your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and on down the line, those next seven generations are left with a world that allows them to thrive. So I'm super thrilled to have with me today, Corey Pierce. She's the owner of Bread and Butter Farm here in South Burlington. Um, how you doing? Good. Good morning. <laughs> So I totally appreciate you taking time. You are, I've been, we've been trying to line up for a while and you are so busy running such a complex and amazing farm. I actually, I wanted to ask you this. You've been doing, it's the no-till organic style of farming, yeah? Yeah, totally. And how long have you been doing that? Um, essentially the whole time. Um, yeah the whole 11 years that we've been doing this. Okay, so 11 years. All right. I mean, I'm excited to have you on. I just, uh, we were talking earlier before we went into recording that, um, I mean, the context for me in, in getting your story out a, a bit in this way is 20 years I've been working with people in this natural health practice and it's generally everyone ends up being here because they need to work on their gut, their gut microbiome, and it's causing other health issues. And when you follow that thread, what, what's behind that, it's generally people not realizing that they think they're eating healthily. And for the most part, maybe they are, but taking it, not understanding the depth of importance of clean food, not eating food that has been sprayed with uh, Roundup and things like that. So... Mm -hmm. I, again, I really appreciate you taking time to be here and talk with us today so I can pick your brain a little bit. Um, so thank you. Um, I wanted to say, you know, uh, do you want to just give us a, a rundown? It's lots of features to your farm. Maybe sure. first, yeah, let's just hear the broad spectrum, like you're farming over there, but you got a lot more than that going on. Do you want to give us a little lowdown? Sure. Yeah. So I think I'll just like start with the fact that, you know, farming isn't in my, my family and I came to it as a summer job. And when I was 14 in New Hampshire and just instantly fell in love with so many aspects of it. And really, literally, I can remember the first day that I worked there. I, I no doubt that first day and then for sure more over the next couple of years, I started formulating like what I envisioned a farm to be if I could ever figure out how to start a farm, which felt insurmountable for mm -hmm. a long time. Um, so where we're at now here at Bread and Butter Farm, yeah, you're right. We're doing we're doing the farming and the, and the, and the land stewarding and the land healing. So we came to this land 11-ish years ago and... Um, there was a lot of a lot of challenges with the land itself and with the ecosystem itself. And so, first and foremost, we had to dive into 
healing that land. And we did that through farming, which is a bit of a oxymoron for people. And even for me, because in my journey of learning about farming, I learned that I fell in love with farming as a teenager. And then in my 20s, I found out that farming was actually the thing that was like really harming our planet mm. um, or playing a big role in doing that. And so then I had to figure out, wait, <laughs> this thing that I love and I feel so connected to is actually really doing a lot of destruction. There's got to be a way we can do this while healing. So that's been kind of the theme that has run throughout our mission here and, and all the work that we've been doing and we continue to have a long way to go with it. But healing is, I'd say, that theme that we can carry through everything we do. So we grow vegetables, we raise cattle, we raise pigs, we've had chickens over the years. Um, but but really we're bringing community here to engage in all of that, to, to have mm. access food of course but then also to just be here on the land and we do that in a lot of different ways we do that through our camps we do that through our year-round or excuse me school year program called village school we've done that through our burger nights we've done that through partnering with mike Proy and blank page cafe who's offering amazing nutritious nutrient-dense uh, meals to go and just incredible conversation <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and building um, and then my partner Chris Dorman who runs his music for Sprouts program here and just engaging young families so multi-generational connection mm -hmm. um, and literally doing it on the land so yeah looking for as many ways to just connect with people genuinely and deeply and you know feed them along the way <laughs> yes I mean, really, I was, you know, moving around your website a little bit, um, and I was stricken by, I mean, the words that pop, like sustainable, long-term collective, collaborative, multi-generational. It's, I mean, just really connecting people to the land and animals and each other and just, I don't know, it sounds regenerative. <laughs> yeah, trying. Yeah. The other thing, we might get to this later because I want to ask you a couple of other things, but the other thing that got my attention was that you pay attention to talking about the relationship to life and death. Oh, yeah. I think totally. that's really cool and important. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit. Yeah, but, no, I love talking about that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's something our culture... Well, let's talk about it right now. You know, <laughs> here's you just cultivating this vibrant life force land mm -hmm. in the way that you treat it and invite people to be a part of tending it and how you treat yeah. the beings on it and all the processes. And um, mm -hmm. that's the life, but there's, you know, some people have a hard time with that. We're killing animals and eating them or mm -hmm. on the bigger spectrum, our own deaths. Like what's your, yeah. where's your head on that? What's what makes you mention it on your website? Yeah, gosh. Um, well, first and foremost, we have, a, and I personally, but I'd say collectively here, we have a long way to go to continue to grapple with it and understand it. And um, and so just say, saying that, I don't feel in any way like I, I have even the beginning of the answers, but mm -hmm. I know that death has felt for me very much like a thing that to be maybe afraid of or 
nervous about or something that's not necessarily talked very openly in my family. And I think culturally that's probably the case in our, you know, here. And so I want to, by being connected to the land and farming, I've gotten to deal with death in a way that I've had to come to terms with that. I was actually didn't eat meat for a long time, not because I was, I, I, I've never had a problem with killing animals if it's done really well and, and, and honoring the animal and if they've had a, a good life. I've always felt a deep connection be between humans and our, you know, e eating them, when, eating them well. Um, yes. But I, but I, you know, spent a lot of years in my teens and 20s where I personally didn't have access to what I thought was good meat. So I didn't, I just didn't eat meat then. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I really wanted a farm where I could, I could be part of those animals life cycle. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so like as a farm and a team, we're, we're really trying to connect people back to that and, and look mm -hmm. at right, look at it and, and examine it and understand the role that like our cattle herd plays in healing this land here. And that mm -hmm. how honored we are to literally work alongside those cattle that are doing incredible work for this land. And then the biggest gift they can give us at the end of their life is they can nourish us mm -hmm. and in engaging the kids that work here or that come here. Some of them work here. <laughs> um, a lot of them play here and to be part of that as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, when we have a piglet die that the kids aren't shielded from that. They're actually right in there with them and seeing that and grappling with what that feels like for themselves. Mm -hmm. Or if we come to the farm one morning and there's a dead chicken, you know, what happened? Who ate that chicken? Who killed it? And why? And what does that mean? Even if it's like the, the favorite chicken among all the kids mm -hmm. and really, you know, getting them to deal with it and to. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. I really, really love that. Mm -hmm. I, I was talking with someone recently, we were saying we celebrate birthdays and, you know, anniversaries and completions mm. of school programs, but we don't celebrate transition from being in the physical, you know, mm -hmm. we do, but we avoid it a lot. But anyway, thanks yeah. for that. I appreciate that perspective. Mm. So what's the biggest challenge you would say in farming in the way that you do? That's a loaded question. Um, yeah, I, well, I don't know. It's like, I just don't, I can't think of it like that. I see. But I, there's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of incentives in our world to farm in a different way that I think is highly destructive. Even when you're farming organically on a big scale, there's lots of incentives to do things that are frankly destructive to our planet. So choosing to farm the way we do has not, it's been a no brainer from the beginning. And again, I'm not saying that we are ecologically perfect. There's a lot of ways in which we can continue to improve from a, from a footprint, you know, standpoint. And we're aware of those things and, and always working on them and it, and it comes down a lot to cost, but we're making decisions every day, every week, every year, that cost a lot more because we mm -hmm. feel really, you know, um, passionate about doing it the right way than this other way that is a lot cheaper. Mm -hmm. So we're constantly making these like, you know, essentially 
bad economic decisions in order to do things in a way that we think is right and always trying to push ourselves. I mean, if we had it, if we had it totally our way and, and economics wasn't in the picture, you know, there's a bunch of things we could do to, to even even more sustainable or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of things that we're doing that some people would look at us and say, you guys are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hearing that from the farmers that I'm interviewing. It's like, yeah, you could spray pesticides to get rid of the burdock that the cows can't eat or you have to dig it out, burn it out, you know, take your time, not ruining all the good work you've been doing to maintain the land. It takes time right. to do it in a way that is balanced, right? Right. It sounds or like we what you're... clump up our cattle herd in like a really small section of one of our fields and triple our herd and just keep them all there, easy to manage, mm-hmm. give them hay, voila, we have grass-fed beef. No one's going to know uh-huh. any different. But those animals are living in a way that is not ecologically friendly, that's not healthful and and wonderful for them and their own lives. It's not instinctual for them. Mm. And they're living pretty miserable lives. But we have grass-fed and even organic beef. So, Interesting. You know, people don't, you know, there's a lot of, and I, and I hate going down that path because people get, I think, really frustrated. They think like, wait, what? I'm getting grass-fed organic beef and I thought that was the right thing. Mm-hmm. And now you're telling me that there's a whole nuance within that realm. Ah, I don't know where to, you know, it just gets very discouraging. I know. Don't kill the messenger, people. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. again, you know, we always grapple with like, how much do we, dig into like the nuances within each of those labels because there's so many um mm-hmm. but we do it in a way that again like i think what we're trying to do is just get people out here and like see our herd like the number of people that. who drive by and stop if they see one of us out there setting up fences or whatever and they stop to come talk to us and be like it's amazing to see these animals out here roaming oh. in this way that we really, really see like you imagine like in the out west um the bison herds or something like that so that's exciting um yeah so that's a really fun way to engage with people i love that so is there anything label wise that a person should look for to know that grass-fed is actually like moving around in a pasture and not just outside and in a pen um honestly you have to look at the farms you have to look at the farm Okay. I mean, there are some, just to be clear, there are some, like, cattle have to be out moving a certain number of days per year, but honestly, it's not enough. And, yeah. and there's no, there's no, like, the, the, like, the rules and, like, how often to do that, and, like, how, how, like, a wild herd would actually move, it's, like, not even, doesn't even compare, so. I get it, yeah. Like I said, and, um, but yeah, really knowing your farm, and I know that's the message we always hear, but. And the cool thing in Vermont is that you can really do that. Well, and kind of what I heard you say about the biggest challenge is holding the line with all those incentives swirling around that would make it easier. Um, Mm. Who supports you? Like, is there, do you feel supported by any of the state or federal things or is it all just incentives wrong direction? No, it's not all. Um, this state is is remarkable in um, in its support, and uh, you know certainly has a long way to go. But mm-hmm. compared to the other states that I've farmed in, 
you know, Vermont is just so far ahead. Um, there's also a lot of organizations that have like kind of filled in gaps. Like the Vermont Land Trust has been our you know, number one partner and they have the conservation easement on all the land that we manage. Mm-hmm. Um, and just their mission is just incredible. And um, the two towns that we're in, South Burlington and Shelburne, we, we, we have land in both, um, you know, right out of the gate, both of those towns put money from taxpayers towards the conservation easement on this land. Beautiful. So that's incredible. And and South Burlington has stepped up in huge ways financially for this new land project um, that we're working on conserving and 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 turn and putting into regenerative agriculture as well. So yeah, that doesn't fully answer your question, but no, you know, it really does. So many, so many other organizations and and then the state of Vermont Department of Ag. Um, we've certainly gotten some federal dollars and some state dollars for grants um, that we're so grateful for. And, you know, the disproportionate amount of money that's going towards big ag, you know, can't mm-hmm. even begin to talk about it. It's, it's yeah. crazy, but it's not like there's, it's not nothing. Yeah. It sounds like you'd be, you'd have to be the one really when I, part of this conversation and what I think about is farmers who wish to be flipping their farms to become organic, what's in their way, I would say you'd have to be out sleuthing these organizations and towns and grants. And it's a lot of work in that area for, as opposed to just rolling up to the Department of Ag and taking your big su- support check and doing your thing. So, yeah, no doubt. Like, I mean, just in general, I think a huge learning curve for me over these last years has been how much work goes into not actually farming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in order yeah. to have a farm and run a business, it's like, oh, you got, there's so much, not just in this part that we're talking about right now, but just, you know, you know, as a business owner, so much mm-hmm. you have to do besides like the, the craft or the service or the, industry that you're actually trying to work in. Um, mm-hmm. so. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, I think about that, like how, I don't know, this is, this is a silly perspective perhaps, but whenever I see something that feels just innately off target for being in alignment with, what am I trying to say? Caring for each other, I guess, you know? like knowing that we're all not having to be struggling with such levels of illness, like our kids, I think the latest stat that I read was 54% of our kids are chronically ill. And some of that skin stuff, gut stuff, you know, asthma stuff. So whenever I think about, God, what's underneath that, it's partly some of the farming practices. And I think about GMOs and Monsanto and all of that. And I'm like, who is in charge of that area? Because, you know, in my own business, if an area is going off rails, I want to go talk to the person that's in charge of that area, understand what's going on, try to come up with a solution, you know? So I'm like, who pushes the levers and makes the decisions about the money support? And I don't know, is it just Department of Ag? Is that a federal thing? Or am I stepping Um, in a big... Yeah, I mean, there's the state agency of ag and then yes of course there's the farm bill which is national you know federal which is so beyond messed up we can't yeah it's and like that's, that's national 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, true. Go ahead. Sadly, it's not going to get you know as as, as it's not going to get really any better with this administration. It's just it, and that's it's because the Department of Ag on the on the federal level is controlled by money. It's controlled by big ag. It's controlled by food companies who don't want. The truth to come out, it's controlled by pharmaceutical. I mean, it's just a can of worms. And this is yeah. what sent me to, you know, when I like naively jumped into farming as a teenager, fell in love with it, thought, wow, this is amazing. Look, healthy food for people and hard work outside and being outside and da da da. And I started to like dive in. I started mm-hmm. to learn how messed up everything was. And I learned about, you know, subsidies for big grain growers that were really just growing corn for Coca-Cola and, mm-hmm. and CAFO beef operations. All, I just started being like, what? This is so yeah. bad and scary. And, mm-hmm. and I got pretty paralyzed, I'd say. Like in my 20s, was just like, this is all messed up and I don't know how to change this or fix this. And um, that's when I, you know, kind of got more resolute in my mission to farm myself because I, Personally, I'm not, I can't be a policymaker. I can't dive into that world. Mm-mm. I'm, I am diving into that world by simply having a farm that is very open and public and mm-hmm. the amount of, and, you know, I try to do my part. I'm, I'm on the board of rural Vermont, which is a radical cool organization here in Vermont that is literally in the state house daily trying to fight, fight for these small, small farms and doing that work and I I can be my do my part in being on their board. I'm not really good at like writing legislation or like knowing how to do that, but I can certainly support that. Mm-hmm. But I just found that what I needed to do was just do it and just have that farm and have that business that tried to go against the stuff that was scaring me, making me crazy, you know. So mm-hmm. just I just had to do that you know, physically myself, that's how I could show up in this in the world. Mm-hmm. And we need the people that are able to show up and try to change the laws because that's, that's what it comes down to. But that's right, crazy. Right. I think that's true grassroots, right? I, I agree with you on that. It's like in my own practice, when I started discovering all of the underpinnings of what's in food and what's in body care products and cleaning products and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I must tell everyone. And then you get kind of spread out thin and feeling like you can't make change. And then like you just said, you pull it back to center and just be what it is you're trying to go outside yourself and change. It's like coming back to center and just doing your own, shine your own light. People will come in and learn about it. Um, And I think, like you say, that's the more we do that, the more people start to become aware and push for that product. And that's going to be what pushes the money to change yeah. things, I would say. But so yeah, focusing on the solution, which is your amazing farm. And um, <laughs> I just want to pick your brain a little. The village school. Let's talk about that. Mm. What is that? Oh, man. Village school is, is just my favorite thing. Um, yeah, it's. Simply put, it's kids take a day off of school every week of whatever their, you know, main school situation is, whether it's going to public school or private school or homeschool, and they come here one day a week. And so we have a cohort of about 14 kiddos, 
and there's three mentors, we call them. And they start out by, and it's all, it's basically second to eighth graders. So it's a nice diverse age group. Something else that I'm obsessed with is how we compartmentalize age groups in our culture and mm. so many contexts. And so looking for opportunities to get people, not just kids, but people, you know, mingling with different age groups. So in, in, what that looks like for kids is, you know, just have 14 kids that are span, span six grades is, is a pretty good start. Um, but they kind of form a little family and they come to the farm that their day, they start out with some chores um, on the farm. And then we head up to what we call the knoll where we have a sweet base camp. And um, the rest of the day is basically up there. So they have chores up there to, to make it run and function, including tending the fire and making lunch over the fire. Mm. And, then the, and then the mentors offer other what we call guilds, which are um, little lessons, um, and the kids can self-select which which ones of those to go into. One of them is making lunch, and they all rotate through that. And then there's things like carving, like very practical, handy work skills, like carving and fort building and structure building, and um, learning how to make cordage out of nettle and you know stuff like that. And then there's art guilds, there's natural history guilds, there's really getting a deep connection to the land. Um, they do a sit spot, they, their own sit spot, they, we do lots of games and basically are just teaching that, like offering the opportunity, I should say, for them to be outside all day, understand that they can do that. Just over time, they realize how resilient they are. Their mm -hmm. own personal resiliency grows. They realize that they're part of this group that's got to really come together and support each other on those really challenging days when it's, you know, 12 degrees and they got to figure out how to be out there comfortably and mm -hmm. safely all day and then have just a blast when it's like 60 degrees and a perfect fall day and sunny, you know, they get to just be outside all day. So that's so amazing. That's awesome. And, and, and I'd say that it's, again, it's something that a couple of us who, Kind of formulated the program here have been had both had all kind of dreamed about in our own lives uh, for a long time and it's manifested here in village school there's a lot of other amazing programs around the state that we've been able to um, learn from mm -hmm. uh, path up in burlington is probably the most notable and uh it's an incredible outdoor-based program which, which program was that can you repeat that yeah it's called crow's path crow's path yeah super That's cool awesome yeah tig o'connor started that nice uh, a couple years before we started the farm so with your oh, village yeah. sorry i was going to ask you with your village school um how do kids how are they eligible like how do you get your 14 kids yeah so it's just anyone is a, it's, we have the age requirement so it's mm -hmm. about second grade um, or, you know, seven-ish. Um, but after that, yeah, you just you just sign up. And at the beginning of the year, we um, take all the signups and then people's need for what day and then build out the cohorts from there and try to balance. Oh, that's balance awesome. The yeah. I'm like trying to plan my outfit for disguising myself as an eighth grader because I kind of want to do all the stuff you're describing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh, you're 
the like adult version of village school has been something it's probably the most commonly <laughs> requested thing we do next so who knows maybe we'll have adult village school there you go you need another you to make all this happen well we got some i think it could happen here with the amazing <laughs> people we got <laughs> that's cool so what about uh the blank page cafe let's talk about that your amazing yeah. breakfast tacos etc yeah so mike proya first got introduced to the farm here when he was a student at the uvm farmer training program in 2013 and we so we are a host farm for that program which is really cool and i really liked him he was clearly this motivated and powerful person and passionate coming from a banking background and having like a quarter life crisis of being like, what is going on in this world? And I don't want to be doing what I'm doing um, and came to farming and then, and he's an amazing cook. So he had this dream of having, you know, a true farm to table cafe. And um, when we had, when my former business partner was leaving and we had a bakery here, we had the space available because I'm not a baker and, wasn't planning on using that space. And Mike saw that opportunity and approached me as like, I'm just starting this, pro this cafe and need a home for it. Awesome. So we partnered in 2016 and yeah, last year, luckily right before the pandemic, he got his catering license. So since about a year ago, um, he's been able to make meals and to go and do events and, um, these breakfast right. tacos and yeah we have all kinds of plans and ideas as things change with the pandemic hopefully yes that's amazing so people can order food online and come pick it up is there it's probably no seating inside right now with everything right no and and honestly the seating situation is not we do have some just kind of hangout space inside but it's not like a restaurant where you sit down. So we yeah. have lots of outdoor space where you can sit. And then inside there's a few tables that people can be at, um, but it's not like that kind of style of restaurant situation. Yeah. That would be a whole level of infrastructure needs and everything else. Yeah, it's not. like your uh, super farm to table fast food. That's amazing. Yeah, exactly. I love yeah. that. That's amazing. Yeah, totally. What about- is just so incredibly knowledgeable around health and nutrition and coming at it from just this incredibly beautiful, humble and curious place. You know, he doesn't claim to be an expert. He's just mm -hmm. done so much self education around it and, and using his own self and body as like his medium, I'd say to like trial and error and figure things out. And yeah. I'd say that's been such an incredible part of having him is people just getting to know him and, and his passion around all this and his just where he's coming from. He's so open about, about why, why he's making what he's making and gluten being why he's gluten free and why he's so passionate about the ingredients that he uses and why he cuts no corners with the ingredients that he uses. And, you know, back to what you're talking about, just like people look at a meal from him and, wonder okay wait why you know i could go to x y or z place and get this for you know a few dollars less and he's like look i don't make a lot of money myself and yet i'm going to hold the ground and make sure there's the most top quality eggs and it's not just the random organic eggs that you want to know what they actually are you know yeah. but i'm going to 
the best eggs, or I'm going to use the best grass-fed beef in this, or I'm going to use homemade bone broth in this, mm -hmm. the whole thing, right? So he's just, he's just awesome. I just love that. I came in and I had a coffee. Um, gosh, this was quite a while ago, actually, because I didn't realize that you had that there, and I kind of tripped over yeah. it. And I was like, what? And I went in and had this delicious bullet coffee. And I, I think it was, it's Mike. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he made it. And I felt like I was witnessing an art project. He was so <laughs> into it. And you could tell the other things that were up there for sale, that they were real food, that you wouldn't feel yucky after you ate them. And I don't know, you just, this might sound fruity, but it seemed to me like you can feel the connection to the land and his heart and interest in it as a cycle in this oh, yeah. cup of coffee. I was like, mm -hmm. I want it to last forever. But um, yeah, he's doing amazing work with an organization called Food for Farmers, which is working with coffee growers in um, over the world. But I know I know they focus a lot in Central and South America. Cool. Um, but yeah, that full on connection all the way around. What whether the ingredients he's using are like coffee that's obviously not grown here, or whether you know in his meals using ninety percent of the ingredients that are grown either here on the farm or other local farms. Mm -hmm. so, you know, I want to make sure I mention too. So here's you. You have this beautiful community space doing this amazing farming. Um you almost have like a grocery store scene in there too. You can come and pick up meats and bone broths and like vegetables and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. The farm store is, is growing in terms of its offerings. We obviously carry everything that we produce. Um, and then yeah, works. We've been slowly but surely expanding our offerings to include um, more products that we're super passionate about from other producers. So yeah, we're continuing to grow that. So we have a CSA and you can just also just shop as a customer without being, you know, in a membership situation. Okay. Um, right now it's all online sale. So you, you order online and then pick up your grocery. Um, we're hoping to get back to in-person shopping really soon. Um, it's just a small space and logistically that space is used by the cafe and a lot mm -hmm. of our employees just tricky to like navigate all of this so yeah it should be open soon again um mm -hmm. we love it when it's open and just letting people come in and shop and ask questions about the products and um mm -hmm. yeah all of that's great i think people are um finding their groove with this i'm going to call it temporary because i don't want to call it normal and we're getting used to that but you know the online order swing up pick it up <laughs> It's a thing right now. <laughs> we'll yeah. get back to being with each other soon. I feel it. Um, yeah. One thing I want, two other things I just want to get through before we say goodbye, but um, I didn't even ask you about what is no-till. I know because I watched the movie Kiss the Ground, which I really loved. Um, yeah. Do you want to explain what no-till farming is to people so we understand that part of your farm? Because that's kind of unique. Yeah, I think it's... Um... It's just try again, like like everything we do, like with the humans, with the animals, with the plants here on our farm, of letting them all express themselves in the way they should naturally. You can apply that to no-till. So thinking about, you know, to produce food, you shouldn't have to completely churn up the soil and expose it and completely like 
break it all apart and demolish it. You should be able, like food is abundant everywhere. And if we just let nature run its course, there's so much food. That being said, to produce vegetables and produce food commercially, that's a little easier said than done, right? Mm -hmm. So there is some level of um, prepping soil to grow vegetables that we all love to eat. We're not all just like out foraging nuts and berries. So we want to grow vegetables and do all that. So the way that, you know, the the options then include taking a tractor with an implement that's literally just going to churn up the soil, which you know, kills lots of, it just does a lot of disruption that we don't necessarily want to do for a lot of reasons. Um, so the no-till, like in, with cattle, if you're managing cattle well, that's easy. They're just out. It's our job to just, it's not easy, but we're out, we're just mm-hmm. out letting them move as they go. There's no tilling required. Um, with with vegetables, it's a lot harder and and it's a lot easier to just churn up the soil and plant into a nice open seedbed of soil. We're trying to do that a little differently and not disturb the soil as much as possible. And that means for us having permanent beds um, that we do light light aeration with like a digging fork situation. So we're putting in a digging fork, kind of wiggling it around, letting air come in, but we're not flipping the soil and disrupting it and churning it and pulverizing it. Um, so we've, it's been really slow. We're building beds slowly, but surely over these 10 years. So we're only growing right now in about an acre and a half. And that's taken a long time in terms of the intensive vegetable production. We're growing grass and perennials on 600 acres. So, Mm -hmm. um, but where we're doing our intensive vegetable production is, is really only about an acre and a half acres. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And I, what I learned about no-till was, you know, there's such an intricate microbiome biological system in the ground. Mm -hmm. And if you let it stay there, it's, it lets you grow things much easier without needing weed killers and bug killers as much. And um, tell me if I'm wrong, but also it seemed like the CO2 capturing Mm -hmm. is a big deal. Like we're so worried about global warming, like this style yeah. increases the capturing of CO2. Totally. Like if you think about anytime you see exposed brown, you know, ground, CO2 is just getting released into the air. Anytime you see healthy, vibrant, lush, so not not like golf course, um, right. but lush, <laughs> you can just think about the roots that are just driving down into the, into the earth. And the, all of those roots are holding that CO2 you're talking about. They're also holding water. So like mm. our land doesn't flood anymore. When we first got here, it flooded because the roots didn't go very deep, even in our pastures. Um, now our roots go so deep. We're talking like six, six, seven feet deep um, to all our pastures. That's able to, so when we have huge water events, we don't feel the effects that a lot of other places do um, mm. or that we used to when we first started. And then in our gardens, they're like big, spongy, beautiful. Um, they just soak up everything. The other really important thing to mention is the fungal association. So mm-hmm. fungi get destroyed if you till. And fungi, you know, healthy fungal communities are really key to not needing pesticides and um, all that crap because mm-hmm. you have strong, healthy fungi 
the balance is back. So like in the, think about a forest system. Think about what's going on in the forest soil. We're trying to mimic that kind of everywhere in all yeah. these different systems, even in our garden. So fungi are prevalent and awesome in the forest. So we're trying to make that happen here. I love that. That's so good. I mean, um, I keep saying two more things, but I really now I actually have two more things again. <laughs> um, let's talk about getting your food to food insecure families. Do you have any sort of flow there for helping people who are experiencing food insecurity? Do they get to have access to your farm? Yeah, that's a great question and something we're always working on. Um, most, most recently we started what's called a solidarity share. Um, and that's where we ask our current members and then anybody else who finds our website um, who's able to contribute to the solidarity share. And so any money that goes to solidarity share, we then that just sort of allows us to translate into free or reduced CSA shares. Um, awesome. And also we work with NOFA Vermont, which is also the other incredible, another incredible farming organization in Vermont. Um, and they run through their whole amazing networks a in the summertime a subsidized share program for folks. So that's incredible. Um, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. And then and then yeah, there's some other ways of donations and things like that. But those are the two most like direct ways. I love it. Thank you so much. All right, truly the last questiony thing. Um, <laughs> if you could drop one supportive piece of advice, which is kind of not my favorite language, but, you know, farmers who maybe see it too hard to try, because part of my purpose is I want to find the blockages to farms flipping. And I know it's a long project, takes time. But if you were, you know, sitting down having a coffee or a glass of wine with a fellow farmer who's not sure they would ever want to do that, any kind of, um, I don't you mean know. like someone who's currently farming to convert into Yeah, because it's a, can you imagine how daunting to go from what you're doing now and flipping it? I guess you did it when you came in as a new project on that land. Yeah. But like, how do we get our farmers, Yeah. how do we support our farmers to break that blockage down? Like, how do we, I know, I know it's I a humongous know. question. I feel, yeah, I don't know. I, and, or as a, you know, I, I was just going to say like, and again, this is very personal, but I've gone into, I, I can imagine doing this myself. And so doing this, finding collaborators to do it with has been like my greatest support. So I, again, I know that's very hard to say like, well, from your like, family farm situation where you're, you've been doing it yourself to like trying to collaborate. Mm -hmm. I know that I've seen just that, like I saw this when I was out in Michigan teaching and farming out there, I saw this incredible, this grain grower who had like 1200 acres who was growing grain conventionally. And he kind of had this like moment where he was like, I'm either gonna lose my family business or I got to change something. And he saw the change be going organic and how his story was so powerful to me. Cause it was like, 
he was going against every possible, like what was being told in his community was the right thing to do. And he just went for it, but he did it by collaborating with a bunch of other people. And then is now kind of the, well, this is now 10 years ago, so I don't know where they all stand now, but back then was like the poster child of converting from conventional grain to organic grain. And that, and this we're talking like dry beans and, you know, human grain, not like corn for cattle or anything like that. But it was really inspiring and he did it with a lot of collaborations and that's where I've seen the most success. I know that's easier said than done, but. No, I like what you're saying though. That makes total sense to me. Like maybe the first daunting task is to build your collaborative group because as communities get more awake and want that, they're going to have to be a part of building it. You can't just yeah. sit and wait for those guys to do it. So what I'm hearing is. We're seeing that just here in Vermont and in the kind of organic or small scale world in a lot of ways, like the Young Farmer Coalition is really collaborative and supportive to new farmers. Um, there's a lot of informal kind of groups popping mm -hmm. up that support each other. Um, as the farming group goes, the Vermont um, Veg and Berry Association, which has been held by Vern Grubinger, who's the extension agent for Vermont forever, and he's incredible. He's done an incredible job of building a community of vegetable growers mm -hmm. over the years. Um, yeah, Vermont's unique in its support. So tapping mm -hmm. into all those resources. Okay. Sure. I think, I, I, of course, I worry about dairy. I worry about conventional dairy like that. Yep. So a lot of that. I mean, I think what I'll do is I'll email you and ask you for some of these organizations you're talking about. Because what's cooking in my head talking with you is if I can be a part of pulling people's attention to how to support agencies and the process of collaborating in a community. If, a, you know, how do we just, how do we understand what a farmer needs to do it? Just look at the, the raw data and it looks undoable. It's so big. And then yeah. what are the resources and how can that community uh, participate in rallying in some Yeah. Way? And then I definitely, <laughs> in, the, in all of this, need to talk about quickly the agrarian trust. Yeah. Um, Tears incredible organization that we're collaborating with on this uh, land that we're in the process of conserving and putting into this commonly held model of ownership. And um, the Agrarian Trust is a national organization. We formed the local chapter of the Agrarian Commons with the explicit goal to hold, to purchase, to fundraise and then, and then buy the land that we manage and then hold that in perpetuity forever as a common, so be um, administered by a board, of, a board of directors, including farmers and, far, and um, community members. And again, just another option for land ownership. So mortgages are really tricky for farmers, especially first-generation farmers, to hold the mortgage on their land and to do all this work. So the, the, the Grand Trust basically takes that away and says like, look, land that we're stewarding for in regenerative ways for food should be held by the by the community and reconnecting that community back to the land that's feeding them is just so powerful and again something that we're not culturally like used to thinking about you know mm -hmm. um anyway so that's another one 
Yeah, I liked what you said earlier. We were chatting a little bit before we came on that, you know, a land that feeds a community, um, it makes sense that it might be tended and collaboratively owned by a community-based structure as opposed to owned by one person. Totally. And then it's cared for by that community. Like if we're successful in putting all of our 600-ish acres into this um, commons model, there's going to be like something like 17 miles of walking trails for South Burlington residents and, mm. and others right here in South Burlington where they can, you know, think Shelburne Farms, which is amazing, similar, like imagine being able to walk through and like see, see all the gardens, see all our mm. cattle grazing, the, you know, rows of, you know, mulberry trees that at the proper time you can go and harvest those mulberries and apples and whatever else right that you could literally be interacting with it from a nourishing standpoint mm-hmm. and also from a cultural standpoint of getting out and exercising and walking through and and again back to what i said at the beginning about what we've always thought about our farm being as this resource to our community where people can come and get their food but then really truly see how it's growing and and how what it takes to do that this just helps expand that really in a big way that's a yes. That's a big yes. Yeah. Uh, I can't thank you enough, truly. I mean, what it takes to create the multifaceted experience you have going over there, and it seems like sky's the limit. You're still developing things. Um, thank you so much for your time today and also just what you're doing. It's amazing. Yeah. Thank you for all yeah. what you do, and, and I appreciate it so much. <laughs> so I'm sure people are going to want to connect with you. Uh, do I have it right? Breadandbutterfarm.com yep. is your website. And yeah. uh, they can sign up for your newsletter there, which is full of amazing. I got a copy of it. I think share your friend, share uh, my friend as well, but she passed it over to me. I was like, what? This newsletter is fantastic. So yeah. you can learn about classes and the hours of your cafe and all that stuff. Podcast like yours <laughs> okay yeah and then they can find you on instagram and facebook yeah okay all that good stuff <laughs> is there anything else that you want to say before we say goodbye for today i don't think so yeah just like thank you, you so much all right wonderful well thank you so much and again for those of you listening this is the podcast next seven I'm Dr. Susie Harris. I'm the owner of Cedarwood Natural Health Center here in South Burlington. And I am on a mission to see farms flipping to be regenerative and organic so we can be feeding our children food and our elders food that uh, allows us all to thrive. Clean water is also a subject of this podcast as well as access to functional health care. So tune in and check these different people in your community that we're bringing online. And um, thank you so much. Everyone have a great day.